Welcome to episode 30 of School Improvement. This is Mark Westerberg, and today our subject is What do secondary principals and superintendents need to know about the teaching of reading? Although we don't directly teach reading in the secondary, we still need to know what goes on and what the science tells us to do. So it's my belief if you understand the whole process, it's easier as a principal to figure out how to deal with special education and students who struggle in reading, because obviously all slow readers or poor readers are not in special ed. And what should you do with them? So I'm going to start at the very basics with you and go through the science of reading and how it works and what you do. I want to credit a person, Trish Martin, out of Grand Rapids, Michigan, who does neuroplasticity and the teaching of reading. She is an absolute master. She is the person who wrote the book, Unlocking the Reading Code. And I've learned tons from her about how to set up reading and work with it and how to understand what's going on. So today's lesson is going to start right at the basics. There are 26 letters in the alphabet, but in the old days we used to hear A is for apple. A is really not for apple. A has two different sounds. One is it says its name, and the other one is ah. The issue really is, is that there are 44 sounds in the English language. Of those 44, 25 are consonant sounds, 19 are vowel sounds. What's really important is to know when they're used and how to use them. And what's most also important is what are the letters attached to. So, for example, we used to hear long and short vowels. Long vowels are vowels that actually say their name. Short vowels have a sound. There's seven of the vowel sounds that are the namer sounds. In other words, A says A. There are blends of letters that make up these 44 sounds. The most powerful letter in the English language is E. E can be used for three different things in a word. So E is the most powerful letter. Those letters go together and form syllables. Those syllables become the basis of words. The most common words are words that use consonant, vowel, consonant. So in other words, man. There are other words that use smaller pieces of syllables with a consonant and a vowel. So for example, the word wonderful is a combination of three syllables that are in the consonant-vowel-consonant. And the word gigantic has consonant-vowel and then consonant-vowel-consonant. Those words are very simple. They're part of the Anglo-Saxon language that we use. And you'll often hear elementary kids doing nonsense words like gup, rup, sup. Those are examples of being able to connect consonant, vowel, consonant, and knowing the sounds. So when a consonant, vowel, consonant happens, the word or syllable 
says its sound. If it is a consonant vowel syllable with no consonant at the end, then it says its name. So hence the word gigantic, gi, the I sound. So that is the basis of syllables and basic word structure that's really important to understand. It is the nuts and bolts of what happens in pre-K through second grade. The really important issue is to create pathways for kids to know when I see these combinations, these are the sounds, they have to memorize them, and they have to drive those pathways so they know when I see them, I can decode it. One of the nice things to know is that math and language arts are really very similar in this. For example, in order to do algebra, you need to add, subtract, multiply, divide, fractions, decimals, percentages, and ratios. In order to read, you need to know the 44 sounds. You need to know about syllables. You need to know about prefix, suffix, and endings of words. It's really important that you know the basic facts and you have those pathways built. Because just like trying to read a word, if I'm looking at a math multiplication and I can't remember what 6 times 7 is, I'm going to have a hard time doing algebra. If I don't remember consonant, vowel, consonant, and it's going to say it's sound, then I'm going to struggle to decode the word. So math and language arts are very similar. If you have the basics, you can make something work. You can start to decode, and decoding is really important. The bridge between decoding and comprehension and reading is fluency. The more fluent I am, the better I read. The more fluent I am, the more I comprehend. It's really fairly simple. Fluent readers who decode quickly do better in reading and comprehension. It's just real simple. Your brain only has so much time to decode that word before it moves on to the next one. And if you spend all your time decoding it instead of having that locked in a pathway, you're not going to comprehend very well. So let's talk about the historical part of our language. Somewhere around in the year 2000, in England, the monks were given the task of creating a written language for the people. They created what we refer to as Anglo-Saxon. Anglo-Saxon are the base words of our language, and they are the important parts that we start with to teach kids how to read. As England was invaded over time, new parts came into the language. For example, geometry. Geometry is predominantly all Greek words. The saying, it's all Greek to me, comes from the teaching of geometry. Latin came in as they were invaded again. The Latin is most prominent in medical and government terms. And then the French came along. And the French came along and added things to the language like the PH sound, for example, the word phone. Over time, other languages have had words come into our English vocabulary from Spanish and some from German, not a great deal, 
but generally they're foods and things like that that are very common. The English language is an eclectic mix of languages. The base is Anglo-Saxon, and Greek and Latin are parts of our everyday speech. In fact, about 70% of what a student learns in vocabulary in grades 6 through 12, in other words, in secondary school, 70% of the new vocabulary they get is from Greek and Latin. It's really important to understand what's called the morphology of a word. If you ever watch the spelling bee contest, the students always ask, what's the origination of the word? Because the origination of the word can tell you how to spell it. For example, an easy one is the word psychology. Well, psych is mind and ology is the study of. So psychology is the study of the mind. If you know Greek and Latin prefix suffix, you can be very successful in your class, especially at the secondary level. So the goal in elementary education is to hammer in those pathways so kids understand when I see these letter combinations, this is the sound it makes. We need to teach reading based on phonics. Whole language did not work. It's impossible for somebody to memorize all the words of the language. So phonics is the base of what we need to know. And as you understand the mechanics of the language, the better you understand it, the easier it is to decode, which creates fluency, which creates comprehension. At the secondary kid level, it's really important that students know those skills and can move on from there. Everyone talks now about students who struggle in reading. Dyslexia has become the new ADD for students who can't read. It's become this catch-all. The bottom line is the most prominent issue that kids have is suffix, prefix, morphology of words, and some of it is decoding when they really can't read hardly at all. But the initial diagnosis of dyslexia where you transform letters, dyslexia has moved so far from that it's almost hard to put your hands around it. The bottom line is the kid doesn't read well. And so one of the real issues is, is to have a teacher who is trained and trained well to pick up on true dyslexia. If you have a teacher who has Orton-Gillingham training in your special ed department, it's a really good thing. If you don't, I would highly recommend you get one of your teachers trained because the Orton-Gillingham strategies have been around for a long time and are really the most helpful from what I've seen in working with and understanding dyslexia. Okay, let's dive into how does this happen in secondary? What do we do with this information? Now that you know a student is three to four grade levels behind, it's really important to have a strategy in place to deal with this student. Sticking them in a class and watching the movie and audiobooks doesn't really address the problem. It really is just a way to manufacture a grade for them. They should be in an English class where they actually work on skills. Remember that kids need four 
credits of English to graduate. It doesn't mean they need English 9, 10, 11, and 12. You can have a reading class. You can have classes. You can use any kind of name you'd like for that. But there does need to be a differentiation between ninth grade English and a class designed for students who are at three grade levels or more behind. Those classes are important and need to be for English credit. It's really important that you look at what a student knows and what you can do with them. It's pretty simple. If I have poor reading skills, my grammatic skills, my vocabulary skills are pretty low. Avid readers are almost always good writers. If you have an, a really good writer who's a poor reader, that's practically an autistic characteristic. Good reading, good writing go together. How do you get better as a writer? You do it more often. So it's really important to understand that the level of the product that kids are going to put out is dependent on their base English skills. Kids write to their grammatical skill level, and it's really important to focus on that. The focus in classes like this should be on short stories, not on novels, not on Shakespeare. Shakespeare should be done for seniors. There is no standardized test that uses Shakespearean text. It should be done with kids when they're a senior because it's hard for kids to understand. They don't like it, and it doesn't make sense. And a kid who's a poor reader, it's really a disaster for them. It's also important to focus on short story. It is human nature for all of us to read better when we're reading a story than informational text. But we do have to put informational text in because every standardized test will use informational text. That's where kids are going to really struggle with vocabulary, where the morphology of a word, Latin, Greek, French, prefix, suffix, all that, come into play. It's really important to give kids those trainings in short story format. A student's true grammatical skill comes out when they write. Prior to Microsoft Word and Google and everybody fixing and AI fixing everybody's writing, I highly recommend you have kids get a pencil and a pen out and write things in their own handwriting so you understand their grammatical skill level. And you can help them when you actually know that. It does not help to have an auto-corrector doing that for them. I want to recommend that if you are in a school, a secondary school, and you want to create a program for kids who struggle in reading, the best book I've ever seen for that is a book called Word Clues. And my experience with Word Clues came back a long time ago. I had a teacher in Hinsdale, Montana. Her name was Brandy Howie, and she taught English there. And after about three or four weeks of being there, I realized all these people had great vocabularies, and their writing was really well done. I was just surprised at how well they were schooled, 
in a small school of 120 kids, K-12, up in north-central Montana. They all had Brandy Howie for class. She had a class called Word Clues. They used this book, and all of the students were learning prefix, suffix, roots, tenses of words, how to use vocabulary, how to make a sentence, how to do a lot of things that are basic English skills that were incredibly simple to teach as long as you had the right text. They need to be intentionally taught. I don't like when I hear a teacher say, well, we just do grammar as it goes. No, there needs to be a pattern. Grammar is done systematically, just like teaching of mathematics. You have to know there's a period at the end of the sentence before you start talking about a comma. So grammar needs to be intentionally taught in a way that is progressive. And there's lots of ways to do that. It's really important when you teach a class like Word Clues that you focus in on that. It is an essential class that teaches morphology and all of those things. I highly recommend in your special education class, you find that book. It is an old book. It's not expensive. And you can really make some gains with students. So some of the things I would also recommend is that in your English classes, kids write every day. It can be just a short paragraph. It can be four or five sentences. But they write every day, and that gets critiqued to help them build grammatical skills. One of the things that my teacher used to do was she would give them a paragraph to write, and when she'd circle the third grammatical error, she'd hand it back to the student and say, you need to fix this and turn it back in. You didn't get a zero. You just need to fix it and turn it back in. She didn't tell them what was wrong. They had to go figure it out. It was a great strategy for them to evaluate what they were writing and how they were writing. Don't have kids watch movies of these books to try and figure it out. That's not helping them. Audiobooks aren't helping them. To help with reading fluency, probably the best program I've run into to help with fluency is a program called Read Naturally. Read Naturally helps with fluency. And remember, fluency assumes that you have decoding skills. You just don't read fast enough and smooth enough to comprehend. Remember, fluency is the bridge between decoding and comprehension. The more fluent you are, the more you're going to comprehend. Core teachers need to be able to teach vocabulary to their students in class. So, for example, if your science or your social studies teacher is introducing a new word, a new vocabulary, they need to do it very similar to they do at a spelling bee. Tell them the word, tell them the definition, tell them the morphology of the word. Tell them the Greek and Latin meaning of the word. Why does this word say that? The best example I can give you, if you have English language learners who are taking geometry, the math of geometry is not incredibly hard. It's the vocabulary that's really hard. If you have a group of Hispanic students in a math class for geometry, they struggle incredibly with the language because they're trying to use Anglo-Saxon. They're not good at Greek and Latin. 
So if you have somebody in the room, a teacher's aide, another student, or even better, the teacher, who can speak Spanish and help them with the vocabulary, what it means, it would do huge things for the kids. It's really important. Remember, it's all Greek to me comes from the teaching of geometry because virtually every word in geometry is Greek. It's Euclidean geometry. So it's important that teachers understand when they introduce new words, because 70% of them are going to be Greek and Latin, give kids the background of the words, just like you would if you were at a spelling bee. The morphology is really important. In a special education class, when you do a pullout class, for kids who need English skills, don't try to mimic what they're doing in ninth and 10th grade English. Really work on their reading skills. Use the book word clues. Use read naturally. Have them write every day. And believe it or not, the product SRA still exists. Back when I was learning to read, we would go through the colors of SRA. And there were things on vocabulary and comprehension those old school things really still do work. It's important that you look at those things and teach kids how to read. Don't worry about replicating what they're going to do on the state standardized test in their classroom because To Kill a Mockingbird is not an important book for a kid who can't read through it and understand it. What's more important is they learn how to read by using short stories so they have short-term success. You show them informational text. You show them story text. You help them become a better reader. Word clues, SRA, read naturally, have them write every day. That's the really important part because the key is they need four credits of language arts to graduate. They don't all need to be in ninth, 10th, and 11th, and 12th grade English. And those classes shouldn't be just a watered-down, dummied-down version of the other class. They should be helpful for them in their real life. Don't write a college research paper in one of those classes. Have them write a letter. Have them write a response. Have them do things that are important in their real life. So in closing, yes, this was one of my longer ones, but this is a really important topic. And... As we move forward from the COVID era where kids were at home sitting on computers trying to learn how to read, think of how poorly their decoding skills are going to be moving forward. It's really important to keep a handle on that and make sure we use some of our testing data, NWEA standardized testing, and look at how students are doing in reading we are really going to need to make sure those pathways for decoding and all that that kids missed out on somehow gets made up for. Reading's one of those unique things. I could throw a bunch of books in the middle of the room with a bunch of first graders, and a third of them are going to pick them up and figure it out on their own and be just fine. A third need a little help, and a third struggle. And depending on the demographics of your district, those numbers might be 40%, 60%. They may change based on your demographics. But reading is the basis to getting through high school.
just like algebra is the key for kids to be able to get through and learn college algebra to get a four-year degree. But this isn't about a four-year degree. This is about getting through high school. So reading's important and needs a lot of intense strategy. I can't emphasize enough how much secondary folks need to learn about reading and the science of it to help them in instruction. We assume when they get here they can all read, and that is not the case. Some read very poorly and need some help, and there are things we can do. So thanks for listening, and as usual, this is Mark Westerberg, episode 30. I hope your summer goes well.